0: (laughs) yeah it's super (laughs) pumped to have both of you on our podcast so Ego and Ivar are the founders of Unleash um, their open source feature management platforms I'm sure we'll learn a whole lot more so yeah super pumped to have you both
1: on our podcast great to be here and I'm impressed on how correct you pronounce our difficult names
2: (laughs) and you're both calling in from Norway is that correct And, and oh.
0: siblings.
1: Yeah, uh, so and we, yes, we, can, we can, can go on, can go on, on forever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so do you want to tell us a bit more how we got even started Unleash? We have, where did the idea come from, you know, and why even do the open source project, like all that history?
3: Yeah, so it started out with me being a developer. Uh, I had some problems that I wanted to solve, obviously, so we had already kind of Automated the release to production, kind of everything was automated by scripts and and all of that. Uh, But I still saw that in my team, it was still kind of holding back. We weren't releasing all the time, like all commits we did, didn't go directly into the master branch. It wasn't released right away. And this bugged me a lot because it kind of held back the learning opportunity. So, So I started kind of figuring there has to be better ways. There has to be ways that we can work with software in a way that, allow us to to merge into master faster because i'm i'm a simple person i don't like to have all these changes hanging around for a long time because then i get confused i don't understand exactly what i changed or cannot remember everything so i will just kind of i I like to have it just merge and is ready to go as soon as possible and and obviously that doesn't align with the business because it takes some time to build new features that is our without errors, basically. Uh, so I needed some safety net to allow me to, to release faster. Uh, I kind of studied that there the, the was already people talking about feature flags back then. This was in 2014. Um, and obviously, there were some tools available. But they were usually tied to, like, you use some kind of static config file in your app or it will always tied to kind of your application but we were already doing microservice. We had a lot of different applications where I needed this. And, and I needed something that, I, or at least I wanted something that were more centralized and, and also could handle different programming languages. And, and that's what, that, that was kind of the, the, the idea for Unleash and, and why I started building this, that I saw an opportunity, at least back then, that there was, nobody really solved this problem the way I wanted it. And, and, and I found that, Starting on this would at least enable me to go faster. And that was kind of the main motivation for me, at least.
2: Yeah, this seems to be the most common reason when we ask why open source founders built their company. It's this bugged me a lot, or I can find anything to solve this problem. Yeah,
3: absolutely. And and I must admit that, like in 2014, the, the, the idea was not to build a company, obviously. That idea come later, and, and we will probably talk a bit more about that later.
2: Actually, before we get to the company side of things, why did you decide to open source it?
3: For me, it was uh, two folders. I was already employed by, by a company, and, and for me to, or at least to, to allow myself to, to, to use my spare time on it, like uh, my, my volunteer time on it, and not just company time, it was kind of obvious that I wanted this open source because then I was not tied to the company directly. But also I had an, another motivation now, that was actually to make it easier for the other teams in this company to adopt it, because then I knew it wasn't kind of tied into any kind of legacy framework or some shared libraries or anything like that. It was kind of standalone tool that you could use if you want to.
2: 2014, you built it. When did you open source it? And just talk us through the, the traction and what happened from there.
3: Yeah, basically, we, or I open sourced it in, in uh, formally in like January 2015, like the initial version, version uh, 1.0. And there was no traction, to be honest. There was nobody knowing about this. Uh, it was just me and, and my buddies using it. And, and it solved our problems, obviously. Uh, but uh, I kind of kept it as a side project, added a few more features, got some other people using it that also started contributing. And what I saw is, and what I observed was that it was very easy to spread within the company I was working at. Uh, we used it ourselves, like in sprint demos and all of that, and people were, like, amazed like you released this on stage to 5% of your users. Uh, this is a company having millions of users, so this was a huge thing that we could just do that. And um, Everyone wanted to do it like that. It sounded like just the right way to release software. And it just started growing organically within the company, but I also observed one more thing. And that was when developers left the company, one of the first things they did in a new company was to start using this tool, introduce this tool to the new company. So I felt like I was onto something, but again, it was kind of early and and it was just a fun thing to do. And and people actually used it in production. So it felt kind of meaningful to to keep this as an open source project and and just build build on top of it. And that was kind of what was going and it was kind of, it wasn't kind of taking off immediately, it was more like gradually increasing the exposure, more important people talking about it, companies starting to blog about that they used it and all of that.
0: Yeah, and I can maybe, just to explain really quickly, because not everybody actually know what feature toggling, right, or feature management means, right? Maybe you should explain really quickly what does it even mean. Yeah,
3: thanks for reminding me. I take this for granted. So, So a feature toggle in its kind of pure essence is that you, instead of using feature branches that kind of protect the new functionality and you don't kind of merge that back to the master code, Instead, you're trading that with an if statement in your code so that you can integrate unfinished code into the kind of application. You can release that without, or you can can roll that code into a production environment without releasing unfinished functionality to users. Uh, Obviously, you can do that with a static flag that is just an environment flag or something like that. A lot of companies do that. But using a tool or a feature management platform, you can start enabling this more dynamically. You can add rules to that. Who should get access to the new functionality? And you can do this runtime while operating your
0: system. And so there are other products that does this, right, on the market already. I'm sure when you started an open source project, did you look at other alternatives, and do you see none of them fits? Or what what was the reason you decided to just build yourself?
3: Yeah, so back in 2014, there was not many alternatives, to be honest, there were, were a few other open source tools, but back then at least they were usually tied to an application framework. Usually this was something you took into your spring application and you used it if you had this type of database or anything like that. But I needed something or I wanted something that could work across multiple application, but still be this centralized dashboard. And, and still have it scale so, so, so that it could handle, like in our case, our application, we're handling more than 10,000 requests a second at peak time. So it kind of, it couldn't be a bottleneck in that architecture.
2: So you open Source It in 2015. When do you pull in your brother
3: So basically what we did, our brothers, we are brothers, so, so usually or sometimes we, we go out and just me and, Miguel and 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 talk about stuff, talk about life. I think this was early 2019. Is this correct again? Yeah, I uh, think it was January in January, something, something like, like that. that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, because I, I had started, the momentum had really started taking off. Like you can see it like on the GitHub stars and all of that. Suddenly it started increasing quite fast late 2018. Um, I actually got a couple of emails, n- n- more than one uh, from people asking me, literally, couldn't you just host this for us? basically, Um, and I I brought this up to again like, yeah, I had this side project, I don't think I mentioned this for you uh, before, but but it kind of gets some traction now, and and a lot of people are using this in production all over the world, I see, like, US, Norway, Europe, Brazil, I see traffic from all over, Um, and also people have started asking me if they can pay me to host it for them, what should I do? That was basically a thing, and 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 Egil obviously is more of the commercial person in the family. He he is more like the business head, so that's a good thing, I guess. So so maybe you can take the second part of the story, Egil.
1: No, absolutely. At the time, I think actually you had mentioned this project to me. I remember you were running this uh, developer conference, Agile conference, back in 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 uh, in Oslo, and and I remember there was in in one of those. Um, breaks you were mentioning of this project i i honestly didn't really understand what it was doing uh to be fair but then you brought this to my attention again and and at the time i was also i'm, I'm i have been in in the software industry all of my life so i think i can pretend to code i will be very uh, honest and say i'm not allowed to touch the core of uh, unleash so i don't have access uh, and i think that is a good for thing for everybody but at least i i I think I'm pretty okay to understand kind of some of the key challenges and 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 how this business operates and 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 what you started started to talk about. Obviously, the momentum uh, was obvious. I mean, there was a lot of interest, there was a lot of pull, and and of course um, that immediately sort of struck me that we need to be able to do something here. Uh, and also when we started to explore this uh, this product, it it struck me that. Uh, that also, this is something I can use in my daily life. At the moment, at the time, I was a product development director at a larger uh, a SaaS company in, in, in Europe. Honestly, also a bit more on the legacy part, so not so heavy on the market services, not kind of on the front runners everywhere. It's a very forward-leaning company, uh, Visma, but it's still, it is an MA uh, kind of uh, story. So it kind of acquires a lot of uh, good, healthy businesses uh, that have, 10 plus kind of years in industry. So obviously some legacy code is in place. So, so so, the challenges this uh, this product of are was, uh, or project of Ivar was uh, was describing was definitely something I also could use. I, I can immediately go back home and say, yes, I can buy, I can spend money on this. And and I think also Eva, you were prob- probably even more clear than myself that if we want to do this, we don't have time to really invest in any new features. So we were sort of starting out with how should we do this in practice? Because you can go and bootstrap. Um, I need to admit being a family guy uh, in a pretty okay position, uh, decent salary. It wasn't kind of the first thing that struck me if I need to be honest. So what we decided to do is to, to okay, let's start doing this as a side gig and, and basically see if we can build attraction and see what's going to happen there. So I guess that's what we did. So we formed a, a company. I think that was registered sometime in March. Uh, we put up a very awful uh, landing page. And uh, I think we signed up the first customer. I can't remember if that was in May or in June, but it was pretty much uh, almost immediately after.
3: Yeah, and it was super weird. It was like, uh, we bought a WordPress team. We put up the page and, and suddenly you felt like you had this store and it was kind of open to the whole world. And people actually went into that store and, and started poking around and, and actually signing up. Really fun experience to be on this, to see that it actually was a real traction and not just people sending random emails.
2: And I'd love to go back and talk through this concept of momentum, because the project had been around for a while, and then suddenly you started to get pulled. Uh, what did that pull actually look like? Was it GitHub stars? Were you looking at number of users, number of locations, profiles of users, what they were using it for? And also, second part of the question, what did you actually do when you started to see momentum to like, pour gas on that fire, or was there anything you did beforehand that you think led to it?
3: I have to be very honest, and I am never kind of envisioned that I would create a successful open source project. That was never the plan. It was just like, Creating great software that solved my problems and solved my my friends' problems and all of that. It was kind of that was the motivation for starting out. So when the, the momentum started, it was kind of exciting. At the same time, I I, I actually had a full time job. I had a family. I had all of that. So so I didn't have too much time to actually think. What should I do? How should I kind of. Uh, supercharged this or anything like that. So, so basically, I didn't do anything of, the, of those things. Maybe I should. And in hindsight, of course, there's a lot of things I could have done that I didn't do. Uh, but still, the momentum was still growing. And it's still growing today. So the momentum was kind of uh, how, how I uh, at least observed it as a kind of a maintainer of this project was that there was a lot of people starring the project. And uh, to me, like a star, it's a very passive action. It's like it doesn't mean much. You can start a thing and then you go and forget about it. Uh, but I also kind of saw that uh, the 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 weekly downloads were kind of increasing steadily. Um, and also issue requests started coming in, uh, feature requests, bug requests, all of that was coming in. And um, um, that also is a sign that there is someone actually using this, caring about the project. And um, and also people starting to contribute larger features. And, and this all, always excites me. I think it's just the sum of all those little things that kind of showed to me at least that there were people all over finding this project and then somehow getting into the GitHub repository and, and starting to reach out and engage with
0: the product.
1: And maybe if I may chip in there, Eva, there's one more thing you did uh, that maybe you didn't think of, but uh, if you remember, you told me how thorough you were in order to kind of what is the culture in this community? What kind of com- uh, contributors and maintainers are you looking for? Uh, maybe you can kind of uh, go in more detail, because I think that is also yeah. a very clear success criteria for the success.
3: Yeah, actually, and, and this is the funnest. So the, the places where we have gotten the most contribution is on the SDK side of things. So to use Unleash, you, we a lot of the logic is actually implemented in the in the SDK. That you put into your application a lot of the logic actually happens there and this is also the part where we have gotten the most contributions and me myself i cannot be an expert in all the programming languages even though we today we support more than or at least with the open source sdks we have more than 15 programming languages but i cannot be an expert in all of that so this is where we get a lot of contributions but to me it was really important when when people started the contributing them, uh, I obviously engaged, uh, kind of high-fived it and all of that. But I also looked at the code, of course, and and, and, and guided kind of make sure that uh, they were following the specifications and all of that. But I also looked for other things. I was looking for like, how do they answer to uh, issue requests or feedback? Uh, how welcoming are they? Really understand the other parties and how they are using this SDK and their problems. and. To me, there was a couple of times when there were competing SDKs for a programming language. And I always chose the one where I had the best feeling about the maintainer. It was more important to me than the code quality itself, because that can be fixable. If you have a person that is willing to learn and willing to kind of put in the effort to to make it better and and collaborate on that, that would always be a better experience than this asshole that don't like people, basically. I don't like to work with those people. if I'm doing this as a as my hobby project, as it was back then, I want to have this as a fun experience for everyone involved.
0: And so your community basically grew from 2014 when you started, and just grow over time. And when did you actually start really trying to brew the community? Like, because SDK started coming in, clients. You know, we've seen that actually many different open source projects they get more interest, people contribute different kind of products, especially ones that you need plugins for like right? ways to actually integrate with your, if your with different languages, how did you get everyone involved? Like, did you start creating a documentation site? Like, this is how I get started contributing. Right. And do you create a Slack channel? Right. You know, what, yeah. what, are, what are the parts of things you feel like, yeah, this is actually what really made the momentum jump one more higher.
3: That's a good question. So I think there is a lot of small things that combined, uh, contributed to that and, and you touched upon it. So. Obviously, one thing that we did uh, as part of also forming this company around it, it was to establish the Slack community. Uh, That helped a lot to kind of drive more than just I implemented an SDK, but actually drive like, okay, what is the direction? What is the next features we are planning and all of that? And and getting some uh, engagement around that. The other thing that we did, um, I think... I cannot remember exactly when I did that, but I was probably around 2018, 2019. I I ended up mostly because it bugged me a lot because I was also maintaining multiple of the SDKs, at least the Node SDK and the Java SDK was kind of my work. Um, It bugged me a bit that I wasn't always fully sure that they actually implemented the specification correctly across these two languages. I created a specification that was kind of simple rules, simple JSON files, kind of given this input, the SDK should do this. This should be the expected output. And I kind of used all the kind of tests I already created and and defined all these specifications for all the edge cases and all of that. And this kind of formed kind of the the way to validate that an SDK actually implements the protocol correctly. And can assure that when we are talking about 10% of the users on Java, we are talking about the same 10% of the users on Go, for instance. Uh, and that's super important to me, at least, that it's, it's really working the same. And, and I see that when we had this specification, it was so much easier, for for instance, when the, 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 the guy contributing the rest test care to really understand how should this actually work
0: yeah and since you're at the layer of applications because we see many different open source projects maybe on the infra layer right you know the messaging layer like but you're at the application layer and I think there's probably going to be challenges because everyone's application needs are much more diverse right like my need yes. of a feature toggling will be very different to your need. And now you also have like a base language support. I'm sure some languages will have different quirks and things like that, right? So how yeah. how do you even make a decision? This is what I'm going to include in my next release based on everybody's you know, feature requests. Because I'm sure this will be a, a little bit more interesting than, than other areas.
3: One of the things that has been very important to me is obviously that each SDK should follow the specification, but they should still kind of try to align with the platform convention so we we don't try to kind of make all the apis 100 similar they should kind of follow the best practice of that programming language and all of that uh, it means that there are differences in how you can achieve stuff in for instance the java SDK or the node SDK and that's fine to me as long as kind of it's documented and and obviously you end up using the SDK to solve the same problem but there are different ways of doing that. The other thing is to, to and this has also been very important to so me, the SDK shouldn't be kind of fancy trying to solve all your needs and drag along a lot of dependencies and all of that. So I've been very careful all the time to, to make sure that the SDKs have a very low f- footprint. So, so for instance, Java SDK, we are bringing along one dependency a uh, dependency to parse JSON, because that's hard in Java for some reason, at least on Java 8, uh, it was really hard. But except from that, we are kind of using plain language standards to, to kind of do HTTP call and all of that, even though it's hurtful because that's hard in Java for some reasons. You usually use a library for that. Uh, so I think that's also in, had, has helped somewhat that we are not kind of adding a lot of extra stuff to your application that you don't, or that could be opinions about where you should have it or not. Uh, So keeping kind of the footprint really low, I think that's super important for these type of SDKs and making sure, and also making sure that we're not using a lot of CPU or memory or threads or anything like that. But the other thing is to keep it simple. Don't try to solve all the problems with the SDK. So instead of kind of having a very opinionated, like you should integrate with your Spring framework this way, keep it simple and and instead build examples. Like we have examples, How how would you set it up with Spring, for instance? How could you have a global resolver for your context in a Spring context that would just work? But don't build that into the SDK. Have it as an example or some side library that you can use when appropriate, instead of kind of trying to solve everything with a single artifact.
2: So we've talked about the project to get amount and how you built community and momentum there. Let's talk a bit about the product and what you think you can charge for, what you're going to leave as open source, and also your decision making around that and how you're going to figure out what to charge for versus not.
3: Absolutely. and um, um, Given that we are starting out as an open source project, uh, obviously we need to be true to what is already open source. I would be very sad the day we start taking away stuff from the open source that would feel like we are on the wrong path. So instead we try to flip the coin and, and maybe we build some new functionality on top that is kind of value added functionality, but it doesn't kind of break with the core protocol. That would be something we can charge for. Um, And we already done a few of those things. So, one example is that we, for the enterprise offering, we are doing SSO and all of that, RBAC and and permission system. And this is, you can partially build some of it yourself in the open source, but then you have to write the code for that and maintain that code. For the the enterprise, you will get it kind of part of the package that would be kind of built for you, maintained by the team, and all of that. Uh, Other things that kind of are value-added functionality on top is, uh, for instance, we have built a project support, a way to kind of organize your features into projects. Again, you can also have the permission system on top of that, so you can kind of control access to the various projects. And again, so so the open source will have one single project, and the enterprise will allow you to create many projects. So it would be easier for kind of large enterprises with a lot of teams to kind of, organize their features in such a way that they don't, not everything is in the same view. Uh, while in the open source, you would probably use more like tags or something like that, but everyone will share the same project.
1: And maybe I can also go back a bit, uh, even before those conversations, uh, because I remember well when we started, those kind of exploring this open source business model, how, how, where do you charge and how do you put that together? Uh, the first thing we we were looking at is obviously kind of go hosted right like that's that's the value uh unique uh, selling point and it felt a bit kind of cheap uh it was a bit hard to really kind of convince ourselves and, and also see that this is going to bring the big dollars uh it's sort of okay to don't really need to go go and host it yourself but then again it's not that hard so why do you want to pay, uh, pay the big dollars and 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 over time we moved more and more into this kind of open core business model we which really believe in in, in the open core and 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 when we started to realize that i think the biggest challenge we had when we realized we want to go open core is okay how do we kind of look at the open source version to commercial where where how do we kind of draw that line how from a product point of view how do we kind of put this together and and I, I think the first, or, or what, what we did first, were sort of really separating the two because we said, well, this is open source, it's something different, and this is a commercial offering, so don't mix it up. And 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 and, and that is sort of the the rationale. And I I think that was a fundamental mistake we did at that time uh, because it was really hard to communicate. We tr- when we tried to communicate the commercial offering, it was really mixed up with the open source. And a customer coming back and said, but there is an open source project. What is this compared to the the commercial offering of yours? And and we were confused and they were confused. And it was, um, honestly speaking, a lot of learning uh, happening at that time. What we evolved to was saying, well, what if we look at the open source as part of the product bundle? So uh, as a product guy, I'm thinking in bundles, how can I kind of wrap this and... And, and it started to make a much more sense because it was it, it was it became part of a journey. It became part of a storytelling. It became part of how can this project and and this product uh, grow also uh, for the new uh, needs of the individual into kind of an organization. So I think where we are today is at least uh, as we see it, much more uh, successful for us. We 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 say that the the entry level is the open source, and also in our commercial. Uh, everything we talk about the commercial is that the open source is the entry level. So the, the buyer persona or buyer persona, the user, whatever you want to call it, we, we we actually talk about the buyer persona. Uh, is the individual, maybe a small team of developers, they have the need of, and, and also the capability of, of hosting this. And, and then they can go to the next tier or the next one, which is sort of taking away that hurdle her, her of the, the, the hosting. Uh, we give a bit more features on top, but it's sort of, uh, basically, more or less the same uh, buying persona as a small company, small team, a few developers, and then we start moving into the enterprise level, where you sort of have a, a much harder kind of. You start to have the compliance, you start to have the kind of the big organization and and back and and all of that. So so for us, it's sort of a journey as well. of uh, It's it's not like uh, uh, one clear picture. is it sort of evolve as we go.
2: It's so interesting when open source companies or projects then turn into a paid offering? Because then the efforts of the team end up being somewhat split where you're trying to grow the community, but you're also trying to grow revenue. And how do you think about your marketing efforts that way? Like when you write blog posts, are they generally targeted at the open source community? Is it, is it that first and foremost? And then you're hoping that the way the funnel works, you'll end up getting paid users later. Or just how do you think about marketing efforts for, for what you're trying to build?
3: It doesn't matter that much, actually, because uh, if, you're, if you're talking about the project and what you can do with the solution, that is what really matters. And we are quite confident today that the, the, the phone is actually working. We see everyday companies coming to us, uh, inbound requests, like, yeah, we already used the open source for a year or so, and, and we're super happy. We would like to start a commercial conversation. And that's super helpful for us because they have already validated the product for a year. They know it works. They know it solves their problem. So it's more like an easy kind of, is easy, 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 the extra functionality worth the the, the, the money for them? Um, and that's a really good position to be in. Um, and we see that uh, at least for now, I think when we are talking about the product and we are talking about the solution is also about kind of educating the market like why should you work in this way why Why? what is the benefits of working uh, releasing to production every day uh, what do you get from that um, and how can a tool like unleash help you do that how can you manage like thousands of releases a week for a small company how, uh, how should you think about that um it doesn't matter if you're using the open source or the enterprise it's basically the same problem you're solving it's more like uh, Obviously, you get more functionality from the enterprise, but it, that's not the messaging in itself. I would say.
1: Uh, I think there is actually one element we haven't, or you didn't add to, what uh, how to grow the kind of the 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 the, um, the the user base. There, I think also one of the things we discussed very early is uh, usually we see activity creates activity. So if there is a lot of activity in one place, uh, and and well, assuming that activity is a positive and 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 good activity about a project that usually creates more it's it's more it's more fun to be part of a community where something happens compared to if you're the only lonely player let's say so so by by the fact that we started to kind of uh, also develop the open source uh, there is a lot of activity on on the github there is somebody responding quite quickly uh there is uh, also very educated responses uh which is of course uh, a challenge we will uh, at some point, uh, face go, growing bigger. Um, there is a ton of, of clever people, but there is only one evil. So, so of course, that is that is uh, something we will face. But activity creates activity, and and also when we when we didn't separate clearly, uh, or or we we have a very clear uh, line of how the product fits together. We also, I mean, we we, we did a major improvement on the user uh, interface, and of course, that is part of the open source. So. That itself was kind of bringing value directly to the open source community, and 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 I think there is one area, I think it's fair to call it uh, marketing. Uh, to me, marketing is a very broad area, um, but uh, but you are uh, very focused there, and, and and maybe you can elaborate a bit on that. That the documentation itself is such as 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 if it is a product, uh, because we are in a development space uh, or developer space, and 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 if the documentation. The documentation is super important for the success of the open source project, but it's also very uh, important for the commercial customers, right? So, so you have been very consistent on on treating the prior documentation as a separate product, more or less. Maybe you can give us some insight.
3: Yeah, that's uh, at least the direction I want to to invest in, and and we are uh, getting a Devrel joining the team in next week, actually. So that would be awesome. That would be one of uh, his first challenges to help us kind of. Take it to the next level again. Uh, But again, I think um, obviously you would love to have a product that is so kind of intuitive that you don't need documentation. That's kind of the dream, at least for me as a a user. But then again, we are building quite an advanced tool that is going to be be used by quite advanced software teams. And and not everyone is at the same level, and not everyone has been exposed to this type of tools from before. So we cannot just expect everyone to understand all the concepts out of the blue. And still, we want to have the, the kind of the user interface kind of optimized for software teams that knows what they're doing. That's our kind of key personas. Obviously, we also want the product owner to be... Able to do stuff in the tool, obviously, uh, so it should be kind of intuitive for them as well. But that's not the key persona in the tool. And my 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 kind of my experience from working with this more commercially over a few years now is that the documentation needs to be good uh, to make it easier for people to start using it. Getting a, a quick start guides, all of that, examples, real application, they can start see how to use the tool in an actual application. That's super crucial to, to just make the onboarding experience as easy as possible and, 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 and get people to the first moment of wow as soon as possible, basically.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you mentioned this because one of the first persons we brought onto the team was a customer experience uh, responsible. And, and, and together we were starting to, to map out the customer journey also for the open source project. I think that this is actually a very crucial part of the marketing because if you are successful of having that moment of wow occurring, I mean that's what you're going to tell, uh, talk about uh, with your friends, with your family, with your colleagues, and and of course you can start building all of that collateral and, and the marketing campaigns on top of that. But if you get that uh, grown up uh, or bottom up kind of growth, that is amazing, and 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 that is very much on our focus.
0: Yeah, I really like how you both cue each other. For, for topics that <laughs> <so> for, <laughs> yeah just spelling out it's, it's, it's awesome to see so one, one question actually i'm curious about um because we're talking about marketing enterprise products but just looking at github um what i noticed at least um you, you do have quite a lot open source i actually you know you have the core product and AM, admin AM charts right and so like the natural question comes to mind like how do you decide what to open source because you're open core but you know yeah. a few things that most other open source projects will, or open source companies not will not open source right typically the ami ui or like deployment mechanisms but you do have versions of that I, I assume i don't know if it's like there's a different another version but you do have a, one open source what do you, yeah. how do you decide what to be open source Will not be open source
3: uh, it is a it's a tough question that we face every day uh parts of it is obviously it's also Contributed by the community. So, for instance, the helm chart you are referring to, it was actually contributed fully from the community. It wasn't something I went out and written myself or, or anyone on, on the team, but it was actually some outside were, were reaching out like, "Hey, would you? We already created this. Would you be interested in us maintaining this for you?" And um, yeah, I was like, "Yeah, that would be super awesome." And um, 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 I think maybe maybe that was a mistake. I don't know, but at least make it as simple as possible to just get people started. And if we have the Helm chart and, and that kind of allow you to spin up the open source in, in minutes in your cluster, why not? I, I, I cannot see any harm in that. We also have like, you can, you can spin up Unleash on, on, on DigitalOcean or on Heroku uh, with a click of a button and, and answering one question on what should the URL be or something like that. And that's it. Uh, um, Then you have a fully kind of fledged open source instance hosted somewhere for you actually uh, by by these uh, cloud providers. And I think that's more important to me that it should just be easy to get started with the open source. Uh, And that's kind of our freemium model. So it would be comparable to other closed source vendors doing freemium. Uh, We don't have to do that. We just give you kind of the the scripts to get started and then you're up and running in in minutes.
2: You talked a little bit earlier about creating this feature management category, is that because so many of the customers that we're targeting and looking at are users, they haven't tried something like a, a SaaS version of a feature management platform, and we're kind of expanding the market that way? Or are we finding that there are folks who have used those platforms, and they want an open source version, and they want to use us instead?
3: Yeah, We see a lot of things. So, so a lot of companies already have uh, some type of homegrown solution already, Uh uh, that's very common, actually. A lot of uh, companies are, at certain size have built some kind of limited feature management system that they kind of grew out of and are looking for alternatives. Uh, there is also obviously also co- uh, companies already using the, the, the closed source SaaS offerings. There are other players in the market, uh, huge players. You um, also see companies coming to us that already use these players that want a different alternative. Uh, It could be many reasons for that. But one of the things that is really important to us and where we are differentiating ourselves is that we are super cautious about data. Uh, We we take data privacy really high, and this has also been kind of key to the architecture. So we don't collect any user data on your behalf and send it back to our APIs. We just don't do that. and that means that there is less of a privacy concern with, uh, with, with Unleash compared to some of the alternatives. Uh, and I think that's, that's going to be a really important differentiator for the future. It doesn't mean that you cannot collect user data. And, and we have a lot of plans on how to evolve the platform into helping companies do that in a structured way. But we don't see any reasons why you should ship all that data back to us. We haven't found that use case yet because we have found that most companies they already have an analytics tool that they use, they trust, they love, and they have their key metrics inside there. And why shouldn't they just use that analytics tool? Why should we replace that with a leash? I don't see that. And-, and
1: that that also comes to to another kind of the key differentiators uh, we are seeing. I think that. Uh, partly because of open source, partly of uh, a lot of your design uh, decisions, Ivan, and, and I think uh, that that the flexibility that comes out of this too um, makes it very attractive to a lot of users. Uh, and and with the flexibility, it comes with kind of all over the place. It's, uh, it's um, I mean the the easiest part. Uh, everything is an open API. or oh, sorry, an, an API. Uh, it can be integrated anywhere uh and, and, and adapted to any kind of process, which is of course critical. And and to the most extreme is of course also that you can actually build on top of it. You are allowed to kind of, if there is a feature, if there is a whatever, it is actually a way out to kind of really make it happen. I, we haven't we have seen a few of that, but not really. And I don't expect that to be a major part. And also I think one of the things that you mentioned a few times which is sort of this, uh, this uh, it's, uh, it sounds very natural and, and obvious, it's the simplicity of things because software development is really hard. Uh, and and I, I know how hard you work on making this product very simple. And I think that uh, simplicity is always key. Um, every time you can make something simple, it's always more, you know it all, we all know it. The, the simpler you want to make it, the harder it is to really get it there because the, the problems we are solving is actually not that simple. So, so I think also that is um, that is not of course uh, directly from an open source, but more of a mindset that is built into the project.
2: Yeah, and I think the point around data privacy is really interesting. Like we're seeing more open source alternatives to products come out for that reason, because there's this big market of companies that can't adopt the SaaS version of things. Obviously it's not the only value prop, but one that I could see holding a lot of value and why folks would pay. Does that mean that you're seeing a lot of paid users around like regulated industries and folks who really care yes. about you know, privacy?
3: Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. That would be, it's amazing. It's, yeah, that's uh, it's a really strong selling point to regulated industries for two reasons, actually. It's the data privacy part, but actually also that there is an open source element. But what we see is that in some of these regulated industries or governmental agencies and all of that it can be really hard to buy software and for the teams to actually be in a position where they can play with the software before they actually buy it for a long period of time internally and build confidence into the tool it's uh it's unbeatable to be honest
1: yeah and it's uh it's obviously also clear uh as you mentioned that in the highly regulated industries i mean the value property that you can get from an open source, I mean, it's literally fully transparent you, to the last yeah, detail of your source code. So if you really want to go and investigate in details, uh, how compliant you are to whatever kind of uh, detail, you are open to do so. Um, and, and and to me, it's also a very interesting part of that because we see also quite a bit of developers actually do poke around and, and take a look at the source code. And, and usually they come, on, uh, come back and say as well, this source code seems to be very well written. So the quality seems to be really high. Uh, and if the open source or open core is high, I kind of just assume that the quality on rest of the product is the same. So so for us, it's, uh, it's um, I would say it's a very transparent situation to be in because every, everything we do is sort of available, but it also is a way for us to point out to, to the last detail that actually what we say is true. There is nowhere to hide.
3: Yeah, and I think uh, and that this kind of this is probably a side effect of being an open source company that you have to be open and you uh, have to be open in a lot of uh, things you do. Also the roadmaps, all of that typically needs to be somewhat open what you're planning to do with the product, but also the source code. And I see also the, the engagement you have very interesting because the type of customers also are, varies a lot, obviously, but we have some customers that are really engaging with the product and they, uh, you can have very interesting conversations with the customers because you can kind of, okay, they, they're describing a problem that they have, and you can kind of start exploring solutions together with the customers. And we even have customers providing pull requests or uh, for, for smaller things or larger things and and, and collaborating with us on, on how to evolve the product because they have a personal interest in this. Um, and remember, we are building a product for developers, so they have a huge saying how we should develop the product and and allowing them to see the code and allowing them to to inspect the code but also come with suggestion and feedback that's kind of that's the natural way for developers i think like i I cannot understand why there exists uh, developer tools that are not open source to be honest
0: so one question about how do you actually approach these companies or enterprises because obviously there are going to be inbound interest because you're open source right so people as developers they can look at your source code they can get what they want because they can start pretty easily i suppose right just deploying it but you also probably want to approach some of the governments or some other (laughs) places that never heard you before do you just point them to open source websites and say hey here's how you start or like what will be like a typical engagement you feel like will be very powerful given your open source and given you actually are a pretty different kind of product
1: yeah, that, that's very depending on what industry and what kind of persona you are reaching out for. So I think, it's, uh, I think it's important not to think that open source is the only reason for why we exist as a company for a lot of users. Uh, there is a very long list of very positive side of things, but that then again, also kind of call it traditional commercial kind of activities. Also, are part of our mix of how we operate the business, obviously. So what you're talking about is basically the pipeline generation. So what we do, we have an ideal customer profile. We have very clear messaging towards different kind of industries. Uh, and uh, and uh, at the moment, honestly, we have uh, still too much inbound, so we don't really need to do a lot of outbound still. But obviously, when we when we are doing outbound, it's um, it's a very traditional and and depending also on on the need of that particular customer. So, so typically I think it takes like 10, 15 touches before we kind of get to a meeting. Uh, and, and, and when you get into the meeting, you need to start exploring the needs. And, and that is sort of the, the traditional value-based uh, value solving, Understanding the pains and the, and the challenges of the customer. And, 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 and then we can, if, if there is uh, concerns about the privacy, about the quality, about anything, then we can start to talk about the open source parts. But obviously also we have other unique selling points that uh, in other cases is more relevant. So I think it's not like one, one way of doing this. It's more like uh, you you need to understand the mix of uh, the, the industry or you're operating in and, and play it like that.
2: And I wanted to talk a little bit about fundraising. I believe that y'all have raised a seed round. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So, how did you think about going down the fundraising path? Because I imagine that's you've gone through multiple shifts. It's like the twenty fourteen version of putting the tool out there. Then it's momentum. Then it's okay, company. But I want to build a venture scale company now. Like, walk us through that thought process.
3: Yeah, I can start, and Agil uh, can uh, can obviously fill me in. Uh, for, for there, there is twofold to this because uh, we quite early we got momentum around some of the really large enterprises like fortune 500 companies and you cannot do that as a side gig basically that was kind of our conclusion it's like i had another kid on the way and and all of that i cannot use all my nighttime uh, serving these really large enterprises that have a large uh, expectations to what we are how we are going to operate the product so that's one side of it, and and we also we are both family persons, and and we have family and and all of that. So, and and we have our loans and all of that, uh, house mortgages and all of that. So so we can just stop earning money for a while, and obviously it takes some time to kind of get to a point where uh, you have the kind of proper organization to operate this type of product, um the only natural way for us to kind of bootstrap that was to fundraise, to be honest. Um, uh, so for me, it wasn't like, yeah, it, was, it was like either we need to fundraise or, me, or we just have to kind of close it down. It's like, we cannot handle this. Basically, it was just too much going on at the same time.
1: Yeah, and, and also if you start thinking about it, of course, there is all of those personal parts, but it's also, if you look at an open source business, it's uh, typically, I would say, or at least what we experienced uh, in the early phases, is a very asymmetric company you have a very mature product and you have a very immature commercial offering or commercial kind of part of the company and and i think what we figured out is that we know pretty well what we want to build so there is no yeah. like no no i mean we can discuss when we can build it and and what we build first and should it go quicker and, and all of that but it's it, there is no problem of getting the next feature on the on the roadmap that's for sure and 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 also as uh, as a commercial offering we we know pretty well what we need to do I mean, it's pretty clear, we, we we are seeing the inbound, we are seeing attraction in the, in the operas and the larger enterprises. And of course, operating in this market needs to come with a certain level of, of professionalism and, and a, there is a certain expectation to come with that. So we need to to, to build a proper sales team, we need to build a proper customer success and, and proper support and you know all of these kind of functions that you would expect from these kind of companies. So if we would uh, do this organically, that would take a lot of time because... Uh, it would be very hard to attract talents, and we are dependent on uh, very uh, talented people. And uh, and 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 also, uh, as Eva says, even even operating this with a two person kind of uh, show would not really fly. So so for us, it was never really any alternative. Uh, I think also the venture uh, we are very fortunate with our with, with our funds and 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 the level of expertise and the network uh, they bring. I think. For us, it's, uh, we see this more as a partnership than anything.
0: And so tell us, I guess we're going to being as a founder, an open source uh, company founder. What will be the biggest things you two both learned? You know, Because I think both of you, I, I don't think you started a company before, right? So this is like the first, at least venture-backed company, right? Uh, I
3: started one company, but it failed so horrible that, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> but I yeah, was also a pretty-
3: side gig, so... Yeah. Got
0: it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. As a full-time venture back founder, because I'm sure it's very different.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what
0: is like the biggest? Let's say two lessons you've learned.
1: Personally, my biggest uh, challenge. So I'm uh, based on my my background. I'm I'm a, I'm a typical corporate guy. So I, I bring a lot of the corporate expectations to how we operate our business. Um, I think actually that is a good thing, but it's also a learning curve for me to kind of balance where do we kind of stay true to certain level of cost control budgeting and these kind of thing and where you kind of just uh, run away like a crazy money uh, monkey and, and spend money I mean that 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 is of course uh, one part of it I think I think we are balancing this pretty well um and also the the second part is uh, is as a very early phase company we are still sort of searching for the business model the kind of the product positioning and 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 I think this is, this is of course a very steep learning curve in a, in a mature corporate uh, the business model is usually pretty fixed uh, you know where and, and and you know it's also a bit dull because uh because it's sort of it operates some uh, to a large extent by itself and often the 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 the, the focus is kind of make it one percent better and then you're kind of making a lot of money uh while in, in in this gig we we are allowed to kind of really experiment and i think that to stay through to this experimentation and never ending learning capability, because this is a deep learning curve on, on, on where do we fit them and why do we fit them and for whom do we fit uh, is, is a fundamental learning. And, and, and I hope that that doesn't stop because I, I can perfectly well see us uh, being sort of uh, satisfied. We have a sort of an ICP, we have kind of a messaging that works for some time and we are getting so happy that it works for some time, that we don't see that this is also going to be our biggest uh, reason for a future failure?
3: For me, it has been two things, actually. Uh, the first thing is, um, um, to me, it feels like it feels very kind of scary to hire people for me. It's like, uh, yes, or at least some of the hires have been good friends of mine, and that's really good because then I know they're really good and I know what they can do. But hire a stranger that on the paper is really good you have talked to the person he or he, he or he is very very nice coming person and, and you get along and all of that and they have this great experience but really see and this is the learning i have done for like the few months uh, that we have done this Is like what capacity they add to the team Is like it's just amazing to see if you hire great people they were kind of and they will double kind of activity around the company and all of that. And, and it's just so, so much you get out of it. It's just amazing to see the power of hiring good people. This is uh, still a learning curve for me. And I hope that we will do a lot of great hairs in the future as well. We are planning to grow a lot uh, the next year. The other thing is actually on the kind of open source versus, uh, versus the commercial offering. I feel like After having some of the few first paying customers, I learned so much more from just an hour with the paying customers than than I did from open source over many years, to be honest. It's like night and day. And and it's just like an open source user did my reflection on that is that if someone comes to your GitHub repo to try out the product, they don't like it, they go somewhere else, basically. Uh, if a paying customer, they are at least they have engaged enough that they are actually willing to pay for it, or they already paid for it, or something like that. Then they start talking about which problems are they trying to solve with this pro- product, and they're not talking about solutions because that's what an open source user will do. They will come in and say, "You should solve X. If you don't solve X, I will not use your product." And that's very hard to learn from that in many cases. It's like, yeah, okay, I hear you, but I don't know why you need X. So, so for me, uh, learning or seeing the power of paying customers is also, and, and the learning opportunities there is really, really great, actually.
1: Yeah, I am I I'm t- I'm allowed to mention that third learning point? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, go for <laughs> it. <laughs> no, I, I remember we had a lot of conversation on when do we start focusing on SaaS. Uh, because uh, yes, you need to grow the open source. That is kind of the bottom-up growth model and, 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 and by the book. Uh, I remember we were very focused early on that, the commercial versus uh, open source tension, mm. this decision, where what goes where kind of a conversation was also obvious that was a very important part of who we are and we'll, who we will all be. So we need to train on that. Uh, so we we, we we were pretty commercial from day one, but like really commercial from day one. And and the fact of bringing our head of sales into a team, Alex, as I, I need to say, also that has also accelerated a lot about our learning of the value of the product of, to, to the value of the, to the project. And, and I think also my, my, my takeaway is, I mean, we are both engineers um, very, very happy with uh, talking about uh, developer experiences and, and, and how you operate and, and develop software. Salespeople are a, kind, a different kind of a mindset. They are finding value and they are selling back crazy. And, and if there is no value, they will go away, but if there is any value, they will go the last mile to really get whatever dollar they can get out of that value. So it's, it's a very healthy mix of having engineers very close to sales and having a very, I would say we have established a very trustful relationship or, or, or corporation team, very respectful and in both directions and, and the contribution we get from sale is actually yeah. amazing.
3: Yeah, it's actually, that's really good. to so have that close relationship to potential customers. What are they looking for? Um, and uh, which value are, or how can we bring more value to their life or their kind of what they're going to use the product for? And having this structure in the way that we have managed to do now is super helpful to figure out where should we invest next in the
0: product.
2: Yeah, I love the the tie between um, sales and developers and how thoughtful you're being about that. Tim and I talk about that a lot, like how hard it is for all technical founders to be really commercially oriented. But this was awesome. Uh, Thank you so much for doing this. I think a lot of our listeners who are project owners thinking about turning their project into a company will learn a lot from this.